Well, good morning and happy new year. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, how many of you stayed up until uh, midnight to usher in the new year? Excellent. Okay, if you fall asleep, I will not take that personally. Um, it uh, has been uh, great. So Michelle and I have come up with a new thing. We have these friends, um, and uh, Mark and Karen, and, and Mark is from the UK, and he likes to celebrate... Um, he likes to celebrate New Year's on UK time, which is four in the afternoon. So Michelle and I, we've picked that up as our tradition. We celebrate New Year's at four, and uh, then we're in bed by 8.30, so we're not tired. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, <laughs> well, maybe boring, but man, it feels good. So anyway, um, I am so uh, excited and just thankful, looking forward to a new year. And I don't know about you, do you ever set goals in the new year? Do you guys make New Year's resolutions? Uh, one of the things I love is just periods of times where you kind of start something new and to be able to think about, okay, how did last year go and what do I want to accomplish this year? I mean, having regular times where you evaluate your life, evaluate where you're headed, and kind of setting goals. I don't necessarily make resolutions, but to just evaluate where am I going and am I being most effective in my life? And uh, that is one of the things I do every year um, related to the church, related to my personal life. And I would just encourage you, this is the start of a new year. And it is really a cool thing to evaluate the past Think about where you're headed and make some commitments. And this morning, um, we're going to be addressing the foundation for spirit-filled living. And we're going to, in January, take some time, and we're going to think about what does it mean to be spirit-filled as a believer, to have the Holy Spirit controlling your life. And so we're going to spend some time uh, in this next month considering that, looking at some passages of Scripture on that. And um, <clears throat> we're also going to address um, on uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. Last year we did a, a sermon on abortion, but instead of doing that, we are going to remember that issue of abortion, but we are going to just talk about what is God's intention for kids? How should we as believers think about kids? And so we'll be doing that. And then as Michael mentioned, uh, Tim Jacobs will be here the last week of the, of the month, which is just going to be awesome. So we're looking forward to those things. And then beginning in February, we will be back into 1 Corinthians. So I am looking forward to that. As you think about, <clears throat> as you think about uh, this year, um, if we could put uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15... Excellent. Okay. So um, I want to just read this passage and consider uh, this for this morning. Ephesians 5.15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Okay, think about that for all the New Year's folks out there. Uh, don't get drunk with wine. I don't mean you guys. <laughs> but be filled with the Spirit. When you think about alcohol, you drink alcohol, it kind of affects everything. It affects how you see. It sometimes affects how you move. It affects how you think. It influences every part of your life, every part of your body. And the Bible is saying, don't be controlled by alcohol, but be controlled 
by the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to influence what you see, what you think about, what you say, what you do. The Holy Spirit should influence every part of our living. Now, if you're a person who reads the Bible, you, from the Old all the way through the New Testament, you see the importance, the significance, the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you think of, if you just think about the Bible, and you think about people who were transformed by the influence of the Holy Spirit in their life. One of the stories that I think about is Saul in the Old Testament. Remember how Saul's this tall guy, and he's going to be the first king in Israel, and all these things are happening, and he loses these donkeys, and God ends up working. And then when it's time to anoint him as king, he's like hiding in the baggage because he's like this guy that's just afraid. And so they end up making him king. And then later on in the story in chapter 11, um, God actually, it says that the Spirit of God rushed on Saul when he heard about these, the, this attack that was happening. And all of a sudden, this timid person who was hiding by the baggage takes this really strong stand. The Holy Spirit indwells him, and he calls Israel to go and fight a battle. You think about Samson how at different stages of his life, this, this person that in some ways was not walking with God, but God had blessed him. And it just would say the Holy Spirit rushed on him. And then he would do these amazing things. John the Baptist, the Bible says, would be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. This man that, that God said, was the, that Jesus said, was the greatest man that had lived. There was nobody greater than John, and when you look at his life, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was powerful. You think about the, the disciples where Jesus told them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in, in <clears throat> Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So the, so the disciples are waiting. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon them and make them powerful for ministry. Remember the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, and they preach, and thousands of people come to know Christ, and the churches began. Or Stephen, when he's this man, he's full of the Spirit, and he's preaching, and just the power in Acts chapter 7 that God speaks through him. Or Philip, where, where Philip is wandering around, the Holy Spirit says, go speak to that man. And he goes and he preaches to a guy in a, in a chariot. And that, that man actually, God saves him. And then the Holy Spirit like transports Philip somewhere else. Um, you think about Peter, how Peter was just this man that when you look at so many things in his life, he did the wrong thing and he was afraid and he ran and yet, the power in Acts chapter 4, the Holy Spirit is filling Peter, and he addresses people powerfully. You think about the fact that, that being filled with the Spirit is a requirement for any kind of leadership in the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, when there's this problem of feeding widows, and some things are going wrong, and, and, and the apostles tell the people, if you're going to solve this logistical issue in the church, this is not elders. This is not people who are going to preach. This is people who are going to serve tables, who are going to take food and distribute it. 
And so in any way, the filling of the Spirit is significant. It says this in Acts 6.3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Have you thought about, I mean, if you just think about the Bible and you read the Bible, you can see the significance of being Spirit-filled. One of the things that we're going to consider is what exactly is being Spirit-filled? We'll look at this later. How do you know when somebody's Spirit-filled or not Spirit-filled? When you think about your life, can you tell when your life is ruled and empowered by the Holy Spirit? You know, every Christian, here's the deal, every single Christian has the Holy Spirit. Um, You, in fact, are not a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit. So, believers have the ability to be Spirit-filled. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when people say they're, Peter's preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, and um, in Acts chapter 2, they, they're cut to the quick, the Holy Spirit is working in their life, and they say, what must we do to be saved? And this is what Peter says. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of, our sin, of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So we need to understand that there is a difference between being indwelled by the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So indwelling is a fact for every Christian. In fact, that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. When a person becomes a Christian, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that is the act of the Holy Spirit making you alive spiritually, giving you new life, moving you from being outside of the body of Christ to being inside the body of Christ. So that's why, by the way, we get baptized after we become a Christian. It is a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit which happens to every person at the moment of salvation. That is not something that happens later in life. That is what actually saves you. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within them. So then the question is, um, how is it that we are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit? Because that is actually a command. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so being filled with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit controlling your life, leading you in everything that you do. And so this morning, we're going to talk about some foundations to being filled with the Holy Spirit. What are some things that we could commit to this year to say, I'm going to do these basic things. And I want to do those in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I want to be committed to having my life filled with the Holy Spirit. So we'll look at more of those other elements of the filling of the Holy Spirit. But today, I want to talk about three important foundational things. That if you don't have these things in your life, um, you are going to struggle to be Spirit-filled. The Bible tells us that what separates, what, what makes it difficult 
for a person to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.30, we're told, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And so we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, but what are the things that get in the way of us being Spirit-filled? And I would say there's basically three things as I think about it. One is sin. When we invite sin into our life, when we embrace sin, when we live a sinful life, we don't lose the Holy Spirit. But when we invite sin into our life, that hinders being filled with the Holy Spirit, being under the control of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is selfishness. If you are living for yourself instead of living for God, that is going to hinder you being filled with the Holy Spirit. I would say there's another thing that gets in the way of people being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's ignorance. It's actually not knowing what God says about being filled with the Holy Spirit, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the things that God has told us that we need to think about, ways that we need to live. And so those are some significant things. So this morning, I want to talk about three important elements that lay a foundation for being Spirit-filled. And I would say the first one is to be to be filled with God-centered worship. Like as you think about your life, that is a disposition when you are worshiping God, you are living your life with God at the center, that is what leads to being spirit-filled. Rather than selfish, God-focused. A second thing is to be a person of the Word. You have to know what the Bible says. You need to be bringing God's truth into your life on a regular basis or you will struggle to be spirit-filled. I think the third thing that we need to consider is how we function within the body of Christ. And we're going to look at how worship is something that is actually driven by the Spirit of God in you, how God's Word came from the Holy Spirit and is something that the Holy Spirit uses in your life and how the ministry that we have within the body of Christ is a result of the Holy Spirit. And so those are things that we need to do. That's a foundational level to being Spirit-filled. So let's consider what is worship? You know, there's a lot of people, um, first of all, when they think about worship, um, it's interesting as people approach ministry that often worship is viewed as the entertainment part of the church service. Uh, have you ever um, known people that come to church and, and, and heard about worship wars and people who fight over, should we sing hymns, shall we sing other kinds of songs, and, and, and just where worship is this thing that can be so man-centered. And we walk into the church and we just think about worship in the sense of that it's for us. And we can view people up on the stage, we can view worship as a, as a performance for us. The truth is that worship, and I'm talking about the singing part of the church, it is a reflection of our lives and the way that we worship. But have you ever thought about the fact that, that the worship team does not perform for you? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the fact that the songs that we sing are, in a sense, not for you? 
Um, as we as the body of Christ, when we gather together, we are all performing for God himself. And the worship team, they are leading us in worshiping God. And so when you walk through the door, it is significant, it is important that as you come in, you think about the fact that when we sing, that is like an offering that you are giving to God. Worship is about God. It is not about us. You know, uh, often in, in churches, um, if people will say, if you want to grow, you need to have powerful worship. And it's this, it, worship becomes this thing where, oh, can we attract people with this? Can we appeal to our culture and try to gather people together? And worship often is about people instead of about God. I want to read Psalm 95, verse 1 through 6. This is, as we think about this, this is a vertical element of worship. And I want to challenge us to think about our lives in the sense of how we worship. Psalm 95, 1 says this, O come, let us sing to the Lord. That's what we're doing when we show up on Sunday morning. We don't go to a place and say, do I like the singing? Does it appeal to me? We show up here so that we can sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. To praise is to extol, to say, God, you are so great. To express our love and our commitment to God Himself. And then he goes on and he, he helps us understand the psalmist. What, is, what are we thinking about as we praise God? For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. In His hand is, are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. When we think about worship, to be Spirit-filled, we need to be people who are worshiping God. In fact, if you are not a Christian, you cannot worship. Um, if you are a person who's in sin, that hinders worship. I remember one time... Um, um, after church, a bunch of us went to a Denny's, and uh, we're all sitting around at Denny's, and there was this group. It was a, it was a local group from the high school the, in our area, and this group of people were just singing. They just stood there in the restaurant. Have you ever been in a restaurant where people just started to sing? And uh, they're just in a restaurant. It's, it's kind of late, and they just, they just started singing, and they were so gifted. They were so talented. And just, I just felt encouraged and inspired as they sang, and they were singing Christian songs. And I just remember sitting there at the table and thinking to myself, what amazing worship. And I went over and I talked to them, and I just said, so tell me about yourselves. Why are you guys singing? And uh, they told me that they were from the local high school and that they had been learning to sing. And, and as I talked to them, I realized that all of those people singing, none of them were Christians. 
Now, their chorus teacher at school was a Christian, and I'm sure did not accidentally uh, pick those songs. But I just thought about the fact that I may have been inspired to worship, but what they were doing was not worship. An unbeliever cannot worship, which is one of the reasons why when we have people up on stage singing, um, we want people to lead us in worship who are actually worshiping. I'm thinking about, you know, every talent, every gift, every ability that God gives anybody is for His own glory. And I was thinking about, you know, one time I was listening to Celine Dion and just listening to her voice and just thinking, what an amazing, powerful, inspiring voice. And I was thinking about that that testifies to the glory of God, that that person, that, that she has that amazing talent. But, you know, it's a, it's a pollution, actually, of talent. When you have these very gifted people who use these gifts these talents, these abilities that God gave them. And, and really, they use it for their own glory. They use it to sing actually a, the content of a lot of very talented people is actually anti-God. You think about the songs, the content of songs, what people are encouraging in what they do. And that is a God-given gift that gives God glory. But instead of using it for God's glory, it's polluted. You know, you think about that. The best use of any talent and any ability is to give God glory. So worship is giving God the highest allegiance, honor, commitment, esteem, to give Him attention, affection, appreciation, to ascribe worth. It is an expression of fear and reverence, and it's to recognize God's ultimate authority and jurisdiction. That's why it says, let us come bow down before and so as we think about worship and as you think about your life, um, that is what we need to consider doing. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and I would just say this, worship is what we do on Sunday morning when we sing. But worship is not just what we do on Sunday morning when we sing. Um, worship is actually our entire life. And when we gather together on Sunday morning, it is actually a reflection of what should be going on in our life in a personal way all the time and throughout the week. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, for us to live our lives as a living sacrifice is worship. You know, genuine worship is when Jesus has first place in your life. Think about Colossians 1.18. It just says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything... He might be preeminent. You know, the church is not just a gathering to promote family values. The church is a gathering when we learn who we are supposed to value. You know, I was thinking then 
about Amos chapter 5 is just as we think about talent. And this is an important thing for us to consider when we think about worship and also when we think about what's happening on Sunday mornings up on the stage. Um, I think about um, uh, Amos. And Amos was a book written to Israel, and they're just sinful. They're doing all of these wicked things. And one of the things that is in Amos chapter 6, Amos is talking to the Israelites, and he says, you consider yourselves to be like David. You know how David was this amazing musician? And he's like, you guys consider yourselves to be like David, and you just improvise instruments, and and you do all these things, and and you're focused on your talent. And the, the amazing thing about Israel, the tragic thing, is that they went through all the motions of worship. And if you would have walked in, it would have been, if you would have walked into the nation of Israel and their worship ceremonies, it would have been just like me, um, standing in that Denny's, listening to these amazing voices. By the way, I would say you could walk into a lot of churches and just be amazed and be wowed and be inspired by the music that is being uh, presented. But what's so sad is often that amazing talent is not pleasing to God. I want to read Amos chapter 5, verse 21. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings, your grain offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. So they are doing all of the things that God says they are supposed to do. They're doing it just the way God tells them to do it. And God says, I hate that. And then he goes on in verse 23. He says, take away from me the noise of your songs. These are people who pride themselves in their talent, in their inspiring gifts. And God says, take the noise away from me. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. And then he speaks to them and he says what the problem is. He says, but let, just and roll down, let justice roll down like waters. Let righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O Israel? And he refers back to when they weren't doing those things. You know what God says? I want your heart and I want your obedience. You know what's tragic is often you can have a worship team that's full of people who throughout the week don't honor the Lord in their life. I was thinking about this one preacher that I knew that had a huge church. He was one of the most well-known people. And he would get, every, get up every week, and he would preach, and he would fill the house. And what came out later is that for 12 years, he was having an affair with the lady playing the piano in the service. You ever heard about things like that, where people very talented, very gifted, from the outside it all looks good? But inside and under the surface, there is sin, and God hates it. And so for us, as we think about worship in our own life, as we think about what we want from people who are leading us in worship, hey, we want gifts. We want talent, right? But what is our most important thing? The most important thing is not actually what's external, but it's what's internal. 
And so if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we need to be people who are filled with the Spirit in our worship from a genuine heart. That when we struggle, when we fail, that we confess sin. That we're not holding on to it. And I would just encourage us that there is something supernatural that happens when we sit in a room and when we sing together. We want God's blessing on the things that we do. And God's blessing doesn't come because we're perfect, but God's blessing comes because we're faithful. How many of you remember the story of Israel uh, going in to take over the promised land? Do you remember what happened? The battle of Jericho? Somebody steals some things. His name's Achan. He puts it in his tent. And so Israel's victorious, but the next time Israel goes out to battle, what happens? They get demolished by Ai, some little town. They're like, oh, this is weak. We can easily defeat that. But because um, Achan polluted the nation with their sin, God didn't bless them in that battle. And often in our lives, and even in our church and our leadership, we need to be praying that God would fill us with people that genuinely worship, that we are unpolluted worshipers. So I want to just kind of think for a second about this. As we worship, we want to be spirit-filled. We want God to be controlling our lives and powerful. And so when we come and when we sing, we want to sing um, and consider that to be an offering. We want to sing out. One of the things I loved about this Christmas season, I think it was uh, uh, Christmas Eve. I'm standing back there. I can't remember the last time I heard this church singing so loud. It was so encouraging and so inspiring. So my encouragement to you is when you show up on Sundays, sing expressing worship. Um, if you have a great voice, you should sing. Um, isn't it amazing, like often we'll have very talented people that get on the stage and they sing, and doesn't it just inspire you? Like I like singing with people with amazing voices because I'm singing, but I hear them and it's inspiring to me. You know, if you have an average voice, you should sing. Um, I, I've been in churches where the person leading worship on stage just had an average voice. You know, that was an encouragement to me. There's times I think, man, you're really not that talented. I mean, I could do that. And that's an encouragement, right? That singing is for all of us. Um, any of you have a bad voice? So this is what I've always told people. If you have a bad voice, you should sing. You should sing out, especially if you want a voice. Um, who, who makes our voices? I used to always tell people, I don't really want to sing. I got a terrible voice. I always just say, hey, sing out. If God doesn't like your voice, he'll give you a better one. <laughs> I think about Moses when God sends him to speak to Israel. Or he goes to speak to Pharaoh and Moses says, man, I, I'm not a man. I don't, I don't speak real well. And God says to him, who makes the mouth? Who allows people to speak? And God cares about what's in your heart. Uh, he's not disappointed by the voice that he gave you. You know, there is a vertical element of worship, and we don't want to lose that. But you know that there is also a horizontal element of worship. As we sing, we encourage one another. Okay, so that's the first one. We need to be people who are spirit-filled in our worship, and you should pray 
for our worship leaders, the people standing up here on the stage, that they are honoring God in their life. Second thing is we need to be dedicated to God's Word in our life. We need to be dedicated to God's Word. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, God's Word dwelling richly in, in you impacts how we sing. Um, we cannot be spirit-filled apart from God's Word. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, um, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, when you think about God's Word and how the Holy Spirit is involved in that, here's the first thing. You know, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For all Scripture is breathed out by God. So, so we actually have the Bible because of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 actually describes this process where it says that no prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, God's Word we have by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, um, 1 John 2.27, but the anointing that you receive from Him, that's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you abide in him. So the Holy Spirit gave us God's word. The Holy Spirit allows us to understand God's word. And the Holy Spirit in your life is actually guiding you and bringing you to truth. John chapter 14, verse 26 Jesus says, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in my name, He will teach you all things. He will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. You know, I think about as a little kid, my mom forcing me to memorize the Bible. Like, I used to have to memorize six verses a week. And when I was a kid, if you gathered, pulled me around and said, what do you really hate about your life? I would say, man, memorizing verses, I hate it. And it was like every week I had to memorize these verses and go sit in front of somebody and say these verses. It was just like this thing I did not enjoy. But can I just tell you the amazing thing? So I become a Christian at 18 years old, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is indwelling me, and all those verses that I had been putting in my mind week after week after week, all of a sudden, boom, God would just bring them as I would be struggling with some sin issue, as I would be having a hard time with something. These verses that, man, I just memorized them and said them to a lady and just wanted to forget about it. And the Holy Spirit would bring those things back to mind just at the right time when I needed it. We need to be people who are filling ourselves with God's Word. So, I want to be practical a little bit. Somebody said, Roger, you're always talking about that we should read the Bible. But what if it's hard to read the Bible? How do we do that? You just say, just do it. But how do you just do it? So can I just throw out a few practical steps, some advice on getting God's Word into your life? Because if you want to be Spirit-filled, you need God's Word in your life. 
So um, on a personal basis, you need to be getting in the Word. And, and I just want to say this. If you're a parent, this is incredibly critical. I mean, it's important for everybody. But if you're a parent, you have to be a person who is, has a habit of reading God's Word. And do you want to know one of the reasons why? When you tell your kids to read the Bible, they may not want to do it. They may not know how to do it. And if you haven't figured out how to make Bible reading a habit in your life, how will you help your kids? When you just say to your kids, hey, read the Bible, and they're like, I don't know where to start. It doesn't make any sense to me. But if you've gone through that process where you really struggled with reading the Bible and you were reading things and it just didn't make sense and you weren't engaged, you weren't encouraged, and you, if you didn't struggle through that, how will you help your kids make that a habit in their life? You know, in corporate gatherings, we need to make sure that God's Word's all a part of that. So here's my advice to you. If uh, you want to read the Bible, and if you're struggling with that, first of all, there are people in this church family, and you have friends who have a regular habit of reading the Bible in their life. You need to talk to other believers and say, hey, how do you do in your Bible reading? And ask them, uh, what works for you? What was a struggle for you? How did you overcome that? What do you do? And just ask a variety of people. People are different. Different things work for different people. And just know there are people in our church who God's Word is, has filled their life. And I've said this before, but um, when I was in seminary at the height of my Bible education, and we would get together as a youth group, and we would play Bible trivia, I am not the one everybody wanted on their team. You want to know who everybody wanted on their team? There were these two ladies, these two older ladies, probably, well, I shouldn't say their age, because <laughs> then I'll be saying what I consider to be older. But there were these two ladies who, man, they knew everybody's name in the Bible. They could answer every Bible trivia game. If I ever got into a Bible trivia match with either of these ladies, they would totally dominate. And you want to know something? They were just moms, no Bible education, um, nothing. They were just people who went to church every week and who every day they read the Bible and they taught their kids what God said. And they had years and years of faithfully putting God's word into their life. There are people like that in this church. Um, so here's my suggestion. Come up with a plan. Um, often it's hard if you want to be a, somebody who reads the Bible and every day you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to read. And maybe you'll just pull the Bible open and just read a verse. And uh, you'll just read, Judas went and hung himself. And then you'll flip around and you'll find a different verse. Go and do the same, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you don't want to read the, be a person who reads the Bible like that. You want to be a person who has a plan that you're not just randomly trying to figure out what to do, but you know this is what I'm going to do so you don't have to decide. Um, I would see, say read whole books at a time. One of the things that you could do and that I used to do is I would just make a, a list of 66 books, and I would actually start at the, the shortest books in the Bible. So I could read it and check off I read a book. And then I would read, you know, another one and check it off. You know, Jude, Second John, Third John, you know, all one chapter books. Um, and I would just read all the shortest books. And I would just go through and I just kept reading until I finished the whole Bible. So that's one thing that you could do. 
um, I would suggest take a section at a time. And if reading um, a chapter is too much for you, just in your Bible, there's like little paragraphs and stuff. Just read a paragraph and think about it. And the next day, read the next paragraph and just get a bookmark and stick it in the Bible. I would suggest that smaller is better than none. So if you want to read the Bible, make reading the Bible as easy as possible. Um, Don't say to yourself, well, if I really love the Lord, I'll read 10 chapters a day and I'll do it at 5 in the morning. Is the Lord not good enough for me to get up early? You know, don't do that. Think about what would be the easiest time in my life to read. What would be the easiest way to read? Do the easiest possible thing. Make what you want to do in life as easy as possible and just do it every day. Um, Pick a time and a place. One of the things that John did when he was growing up is um, he, when he got a job, he always went to work 30 minutes early. And so he would just read the Bible for 30 minutes before his shift. So John read the Bible any day he worked, he read the Bible. And then when he was in school, he, he went to school 30 minutes early, and he would just sit and read his Bible for a half an hour. So if he went to school and worked um, on the same day, he read his Bible twice that day. But he just tried to figure out, what is something that I do? I'm going to tie my Bible reading to that. And here was another benefit. He was never late to school, and he was never late to work. So pick something in your life that you do, and just make a decision. I'm going to read the Bible at this spot. Um, For myself, uh, I listen to the Bible every single time I drive in the car by myself. I just play the Bible. Whenever I'm doing chores at my house, if I'm mowing the lawn, if I'm cleaning the garage, I listen to the Bible. So I just structure these things that I do in my life, and I listen to the Bible. Michelle and I, when we wake up in the morning, before we go out on our walk, we go walk Mission Viejo Lake every morning. We try to do that. But sometimes before we get out of bed, I'll just play the Bible, and together we'll listen to it. If we're not doing it, if we don't end up doing it then, while we're walking the lake, it takes us an hour to walk the lake. So we'll just throw an ear pod in and we'll just hit play. And for about a quarter or half of the lake, we'll listen to the Bible. And then on the rest of our walk, we talk about it. What did you learn? What was challenging to you? What was a question that you had? So I've just figured out these structural places in my life to be putting God's Word into my life. So that's my encouragement to you. Find something. Do that. Find a friend. Um, and I would suggest your spouse and share what you learned. Uh, when I was trying to teach my kids to read the Bible, uh, one of the things that I would do is I wanted them to think about what they were reading. So what I would say to them is I would say, hey, go, and I would give them an assignment, and I would say, I want you to read this, and then I want you to come tell me what you learned from it, what you take from it. And it's amazing how when you know you have to give a report, you think about what you're reading. And so they knew, okay, I'm going to read this, and now what am I going to tell my dad? I learned from this. And so I would have them do that. When they were really young, one of the things that we did was we would just all sit in the living room, and we would just read through different sections of the Bible. But one of the things I did with them is we would read Proverbs. And so I would have each of them read like a proverb, and then I would have them explain to me, so what does that mean? When you read that, what does that mean and how does it apply to your life? And it is amazing the good things my kids said that they learned in Sunday school. 
that had nothing to do with the verse they just read. So they would read this verse, and I'd say, so what do you learn? And they would just say something about God that they knew from Sunday school. And I would just say, where's that in that verse? Um, And I'm just telling you, like little kids do that, but sit in an adult Bible study, read a verse, and go around the room and say, what do you learn from that? And there's a bunch of people that will share things that are not actually in what they just read. And so teaching um, people to read, to think about what they just read, and then we would talk about, okay, so how does that apply at school? How would that verse have helped you yesterday? And especially going through Proverbs, there's so much wisdom. And, and so people would, the kids would start to learn, wow, God's word is full of wisdom. It helps me. It would have given me an answer on this day. And so um, I have an, a, a suggestion. So I would just read it with him, would talk to him. Those are some things that I did. But in our Bible app, um, John was thinking about, okay, um, he has a really good habit of reading the Bible in his life, and he was thinking about how can I help kids in youth group? And this is not just good for youth group, it's good for anybody who wants to develop Bible reading in their life. So the Bible app in our plan has this plan that John came up with to help people read the Bible. So if you have the Foothills Church app, and you click on the Bible reading thing, and it starts today, since it's New Year, And basically for two months, you read one chapter a day of Proverbs. So you're going to read the book of Proverbs twice. You just read one chapter a day, and you can do that. You can think, what is a verse that stands out to me that's helpful to me? So you'll do that for two months. Then you read through the four Gospels. So you'll just read through the four Gospels. So now you're going through the New Testament. Then you'll read the book of Acts. Then you'll read Genesis. Then you'll read some narrative sections of the Old Testament. Those are the really easy ones to read. Like if you read Joel and it's talking about locusts and stuff like that, you'll be going, oh man, what does that mean? And it's really good. That stuff's awesome. But um, it goes, but John doesn't start you with Joel. He goes into a section of just the narrative sections of the Old Testament that are so fun to read. They're so understandable. There's so much in them that so many lessons that we just learn how to think about life. And then after that, you read the whole New Testament and the whole Old Testament. So that's my suggestion is start small. Just pick something. I mean, you could use that. I hope that that's helpful for you. Or just pick something else. But come up with a plan read whole books at a time. And then my other suggestion for you in this is don't get discouraged. If you miss a day, don't feel like a failure. Don't feel like you messed up. Just if you missed a few days, just start where you left off and continue reading. Never feel bad about it. Never feel guilty. Just read the Bible because you love it. I got to tell you, I don't feel guilty if I miss reading the Bible. That is not what drives me. I love God. I love reading the Bible. I love being in his presence. I want God to be speaking into my life. And I read the Bible not out of obligation, but because I love doing it. And so make reading the Bible in your life something that you love doing because you love God. And if you do that, um, you will be laying a foundation for yourself to be spirit-filled. I want to go quick on this last, um, this last point, and that is this. If you're going to be spirit-filled, you need the ministry of the body of Christ, 
and you need to be ministering in the body of Christ. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Have you thought about the fact that when you show up on Sunday morning and when you do things with people and functioning in the body of Christ, have you, have you thought about the fact that when you show up here on Sunday morning, the people around you are the Holy Spirit working in your life? You want the Holy Spirit to work in your life and the Holy Spirit to work through you? Show up to church on Sunday. Um, he, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says, Now there are a varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service. Those are things that you do, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. That is being filled by the Spirit, that every single thing that you do is empowered by God, that it's not polluted by sin, that you're not grieving the Holy Spirit, but that you are enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. There, there are people who pray for me, and Every time I'm going to preach or just different things that I do, they pray that the Holy Spirit will be working through me. And that is my prayer too, that the things I do aren't me, that it's God working through me. And then it says this in verse 7, think about this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Have you thought about the fact that the evidence, the work the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life has as its aim the well-being of other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if you <clears throat> are not coming to church, if you are not using your gifts, if you're a Christian that the Holy Spirit has given you, if you are not using your gifts in the body of Christ, people are missing out on God's work in their life. If you are not in church, you are missing out on the Holy Spirit's work in your life that comes through the body of Christ. So I was talking to this guy this week, and he told me that he had a good friend that he had been talking to <clears throat> who had a, um, a, a problem with diabetes. And just how diligent this person was at always checking their blood sugar and giving themselves shots. And uh, he texted this person, and after a couple days, they didn't text him back. And he thought, oh, maybe they're busy or maybe something happened until he gets a phone call. Now, that person was in their house by themselves. Their blood sugar dropped. They went into a diabetic coma, coma and they passed away. This happened last month. This person that seemed healthy, everything in their life looked good, and they neglected this necessity in their life, and they died. Uh, what did Jesus say in Matthew 4? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. When, when we don't worship the way God wants us to worship, when we are not putting God's word into our life the way that we need to put God's word into our life, when we are not using our spiritual gifts and having other people use their spiritual gifts on us, that is a necessity in a Christian's life. And I would say, you know, there's people who say things like, 
if, I, if, if a person, just because a person goes to church, it doesn't mean anything. Have you ever heard anyone say that? That's true. Um, the Pharisees did that kind of stuff. And Jesus says, you honor me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. He says, in vain do you worship God. It's empty. It's meaningless. So going to church doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, it could, but it also might not. But did you know that not going to church always means something? If you don't go to church, it's because there's two options. One, you're not a Christian. That's a, a reason often religious people don't go to church. They don't know the Lord. They, they don't have the Holy Spirit drawing them. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them that gives them an affection for the right thing. So when people go, don't go to church, good chance they're not believers. Uh, here's the second thing. And it's one of these two, always. If a person doesn't go to church, they are an unhealthy Christian. They're a Christian about to go into a diabetic coma. Like they're, they're starving. They are in disaster. They are in spiritual trouble. And so as you think about yourself, you should make sure you're in church. And anybody that you know, love, or care about who's not in church regularly is in immediate peril. They need God's help. And we should be serious about that. Um, Paul says this, and we'll close with this verse, or the writer of Hebrews. He says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, Church is a necessity. Putting God's word into our life is a necessity. Being a person who worships genuinely from the heart is a necessity for a believer. And those are foundational elements of spirit-filled living. Um, one of the things I think about related to church, there's a lot of things that are really hard to do. Have you ever tried to control your temper when somebody did something really irritating? I remember when I was a kid, and I would um, go home and I would say, I want to honor my parents. I'm not going to yell at them. I'm going to do what they ask me to do. And uh, so I had just become a Christian. I was still living at home, and I would tell myself, be nice to my parents. Be nice to my parents. I would walk through the door, and like, like within five minutes, I'm yelling at my parents. I'm like, oh, man, I wasn't going to do that. Like there are certain things that are so hard to deal with. You want to know what one of the easiest things in the Christian life is? Set your alarm, get up, get dressed, and go to church. And it helps with all these other things that we were talking about that lays a foundation for spirit-filled living. Let me pray for us. Lord, this year we want to be people who are spirit-filled. God, we know that as Christians, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Even when we sin, you don't leave us. You stay inside of us. And God, we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for the work of Christ. Lord, the fact that you love us, you died for us, you give us a righteousness that is not our own. And yet, Lord, you've given us the resource of the Holy Spirit to fill us, to control us, to motivate us, to bring power to all the things that we do. Lord, as we read the Bible, we see what a necessity that is. God, help us to be people this year who are transformed 
by the fact that we are spirit-filled. God, I pray that that spirit-filled living would transform marriages, that it would transform friendships, that it would transform work relationships. God, this year, may Foothills Church be a place that is filled with the Spirit. In your name, amen.